0: Well, Feast Week is officially in full swing. Big E's has had a rough couple of days, let's put it that way. But hopefully, Feast Week is all about proving yourself, right? And teams will most likely will definitely have the chance, rather, to do so over the over the coming days. So, welcome to a men's edition of the Igloo. So the format as I'm going to go, I'm going to have a few days in a row where you're going to see episodes just throughout the week. So today will be men's exclusive. Tomorrow will be a combo as there aren't any women's games happening. So I'll recap the weekend, which featured some pretty shocking results. Marquette went on a tear down in the Bahamas and nearly came away with some hardware to take back to Milwaukee in Atlantis. Sorry if that's a spoiler. And then, obviously, UConn had their Elite 8 rematch with NC State. I mean, if you unless you're living under a rock, you know exactly what happened. So, it'll be a combo episode because I'll discuss, obviously, the last three days from Saturday until now. And then I'll preview tonight. As well as um, the went um, well tonight. Preview tonight, obviously on this episode, and then I'll discuss tonight's games tomorrow, and do a little bit of preview, and then Thanksgiving Day. So here, so here is what I am going to do. Um, so you will get. Uh, so there will be a Thanksgiving Day episode. Um, so gobble gobble. Because there are games on Thanksgiving Eve, which includes the start of the Battle for Atlantis on the men's side. Uh, where Butler is going to face Tennessee. And I- I'm going back and forth on this. I don't really know uh, what I'm going to do. But I'll tell you what, there will be episodes guaranteed today and tomorrow. So let's, again, this is a men's exclusive episode. So let's talk about what has happened over the past 3 days. Well, in the Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off Providence with a distinctive home court advantage again. They're by far the closest team uh to Mohegan Sun in this tournament. And Providence, you know, they're they're trying to go tooth and nail and they look pretty good early on. But Miami, they 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 flexed their muscles on them and went up big. I mean, they went on a run that really put them up by as many as 15 in the first half. It was a 12-point game at the break, and Providence, too big of a hole for them to climb out of, and that's how they lose their first game of the year as Miami takes them down. 74-64, by the way, this, that was Jim Laranega's 700th career win. For the Canes, leading the way, 19 points from Norshad Omiere. 19 points, 12 rebounds. Isaiah Wong, preseason All-ACC First Team, 18 points on 7 of 14 shooting. They got 11 from Kansas State transfer Nigel Pack, 9 from Jordan Miller, and 8 from Wuga Poplar, and not really much from the bench, 9 total points, but they got 7 of them from Bensley Joseph, and then a couple of free throws from A.J. Casey. Providence was minus 9 on the glass in this one. They made more threes, to 5-4, but percentage-wise, Providence was right around 24%. Miami, nearly 31. For the Friars, leading the way, they got 16 from Bryce Hopkins and 8 rebounds. 6 of 8 from the floor, 1 of 2 from deep. Jared Bynum, yes, he had 14 points, but... I mean, 5 for 12 from the field is not bad, but just 1 of 7 from deep. Devin Carter with 11, 9 from Noah Locke. His early season struggles continue, just 3 for 9 from the field, 1 of 4 from deep. Ed Croswell just 2 points in 20 minutes, 6 rebounds. And then off the bench, they got 6 each from Clifton Moore and Alan Breed. Breed was 2 for 4 from the floor and 1 of 3 from deep in just 12 minutes. Moore played 21 minutes, one for four from the field, four for four from the free throw line. So tough way to lose on Saturday, and then Sunday was a little more of a tough pill to swallow. They're in the consolation game against St. Louis, who a lot of people were pegging St. Louis to be maybe the bet the best team in the field, even better than Miami. I thought Miami was the best team in the field. But St. Louis, they got blown out by Maryland the day before. Shout out to Kevin Willard, who ended up winning the title to propel, propel his team into the top 25 after they again they, again, they routed St. Louis and then routed Miami to win the title. But in the consolation game, I thought Providence was going to win this game. Like, I really did terms of the margin of victory, I had the Friars winning by 9. But it looked like it was trending that way. Providence was up 6 of the break. They went on a pretty big first half run that got them up to 6. And in the second half, we got the lead up to 13. Now, I know there were some very questionable calls toward the end, including an and one that really you saw, like, NBA-style continuation, like, yeah, no. I know there were those questionable calls, including a questionable charge call towards the end of the game. Actually, no, no, I was thinking of the wrong game. But, yeah, that and one was very questionable at best. But, again, I'm not trying to sympathize with the refs, but if you're Providence, you can't be blowing 13-point leads. Like, that. just no. Because if you don't blow the lead, you're not in that position. Again, bad call, absolutely. But, the more important thing, I think the point emphasis should be, is blowing a 13-point lead. Like, you're supposed to have that game in the bag especially when you start the second half with the first 5 points forcing a timeout for St. Louis and again the biggest lead 13 with 16:49 to go so the rest of the rest of the way they got outscored again 16 minutes 49 seconds they allowed they got outscored 42 to 26. And St. Louis, thanks to that 3-point play from Yuri Collins, which shouldn't have been a 3-point play at all, Billikens win 76-73. 21 from Collins, 5 boards, 7 assists. Really, it was the starters who were carrying the load for the Billikens. 65 of the 76 were from the starters. They got 14 from Javante Perkins, I mean, tough day, though. 5 of six, five of 15 from the field, 1 of 6 from deep. And then 3 players each with 10 points. Francis Okoro with 9 rebounds, so a near double-double. Gibson, Jimerson 4 for 8 from the floor, 2 for 5 from deep. And then Javon Pickett, 6 rebounds, 3 of 8 from the field. And then they got 7 off the bench from... I love this app. I mean, I don't know why I continue to use it, but maybe I'll learn eventually not to, but Jake Forrester with seven points off the bench in 14 minutes, and then two points each from Terrence Hargrove Jr. and Sincere Parker. As for the Friars, I mean, they they were 20 for 20 from the free throw line. But, Yet they still lost the game because St. Louis inside the arc, despite shooting three of 15 from deep, inside the arc, they were 26 for 45. You know, that's nearly 60%. So that propels their shooting percentage up to 48%. Providence, yeah, they made seven threes on 20 attempts. That's pretty good. But inside the arc, they weren't nearly as good as St. Louis, not even close. Inside the arc, 16 of 44. And if I do my math correctly, that's only 36.3%. Bryce Hopkins looks like he's going to be the number one option on this team. 20 points, 9 boards, 6 of 10 from the field, 2 for 3 from deep. Ed Croswell bounced back with a double-double, 11 points, 10 boards. Jared Bynum, his early season struggles continue, at least from what I can see on Twitter. Providence fans getting a little annoyed because it seems like they're getting COVID season them versus last year's Bynum. I mean, it's early. If it's a continuing trend as we head towards conference play, yeah, then there's some neat urgency to be concerned. But them 15 points, 5 of 16 for the floor. 0 for 5 from deep, though. I mean, his 3-point percentages have dipped drastically. I mean, this guy shot 41% from 3 last year. He's at 18% right now. After And by the way, he was only t- <laughs> 11.9% during the COVID season. But again, there's time to figure it out. Noah Locke, his early season struggles continued. Six points, two of seven from deep, just two for 10 from the field. And then 11 combined bench points. They got five from Corey Floyd Jr., probably the best he's looked this year, arguably. One for three from the floor, knocked down his only three-point attempt of the game. Four from Clifton Moore to go with five rebounds in eleven minutes, and then they got two points in six minutes from the free on, on free throws, no less from Rafael Castro. So Providence, they they leave Mohegan Sun zero two, so they really got to pick themselves back up. No Thanksgiving Eve, which I'll talk about in in the coming days. We'll see. Anyway, back to Saturday night. Butler after getting beat. Um, again, they got beat by Penn State on Monday. But they've since bound back, bounced back. They beat St. Francis, PA. And in this one, they throttled the Citadel 89-42. to And they got that big first half lead that propelled. 53-22 at the half. And if I'm looking at it here, their biggest lead was nearly 50. And again, it was a 47-point route. Pretty well-balanced scoring night for the Dogs. 18 each from CMOS Lukosius, and Jaden Taylor, the Wonder sophomores of this team. Lukosius was 4 for 4 from deep. Taylor was 4 for 6. Uh, 7 for 9 for Lukosius from the floor. Taylor 7 for 10. Nine rebounds, by the way, for the Lithuanian. Eric Hunter Jr. with 15 points, 6 of 13 from the field, 3 for 5 from deep, 6 dimes as well. Chuck Harris 13 points, 7 boards, 4 assists. Four for nine from deep, four for ten from the floor. Manny Bates, 26 minutes, five points, nine boards, and he also had three assists. And the bench was really good. Pierce Thomas with nine points in 22 minutes. Six points from DJ Hughes, who was three for three from the field and had eight rebounds in 13 minutes. They even got a bucket in garbage time from freshman Connor Turnbull, and then they also got a three from Miles Tate they they got assists on nearly two on on exactly excuse me 2 thirds of their field goal attempts on their field goals made excuse me they were 55% from the field nearly 55% from behind the arc 17 threes for the dogs on 31 attempts definitely wouldn't have seen this team a year ago or even 2 years ago make that many threes in a game or even hitting more than 10 in a game and they, also, they were also plus 18 on the glass. So that helps. For the Citadel, their leading scorer, only player in double digits, that was Austin Ash with 10 points. 4 of 12 from the field, just 2 for 9 from behind the arc. 7 each for Madison Durr and Elijah Morgan, the latter of which came off the bench. 5 each from Stephen Clark and A.J. Smith. Again, Ladder, which came off the bench, but those two guys just struggled. Clark was two for 11, Smith two for 10. Um, Three points from Bailey Conrad. Well, a three-pointer, excuse me, from, from Conrad. Just two points each from Colby McAllister and Jackson Price. Just a free throw in seven minutes from Brady Spence. The Citadel was just under th- just a hair under 31% from the field and it was just five for 21 from deep. So Butler looking a lot better, three and one on the year. So other feast week action. Georgetown, I'm not going to lie. I thought they were going to lose to LaSalle Sunday. Like, given their track record, I'm like, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost. But Georgetown, kind of like against Loyola Marymount, they were up big at half. I mean, 10 points against Loyola Marymount. Twice the as biggest as lead against LaSalle. 20 points. It was 41 to 21. And Georgetown was never trailing in this game. We were up by as many as 25. But LaSalle, they chipped away, chipped away. And, I mean, at one point, they tied it at 62 with 2.14 to go. But Georgetown, they end the game scoring the final seven points of the game. And the I get the game-winning basket came from Kudus Wahab with 1.46 to go. And they got the stops they needed and the free throws made that they needed from Spears, Wahab, and then... Jay Heath went one of two. And on top of that, I mean, LaSalle also went 0-2 from the free-throw line in the final seconds. Granted, it wasn't going to make a difference with uh, you know three seconds left, down seven. But Georgetown, they were able to leave Jamaica with at least the one win, 69-62. Kudus Wahab, again, had the game-winner. 23 points seven boards eight of 14 from the field and a couple block shots 16 from Brandon Murray who did foul out but he was seven of 13 from the field Jay Heath with nine points along with five boards and three assists a cook a cook 35 minutes four points 10 boards three block shots in this one Primo Spears those two free throws I mentioned those are his only points of the ball game and he was 0-7 for from the field. I guess his first real tough shooting day for the Hoyas. Off the bench, though, Jordan Riley came up big with 7 points and 4 boards in 17 minutes. They got a 3 from Bryson Mazone in 14 minutes, although he did foul out. The freshman Denver Anglin knocked down a 3 in this one in just 5 minutes played. Ryan Matumbo played 7 minutes, scored 2 points, and grabbed 3 rebounds. As for and the thing is, Georgetown didn't really need the three ball. They only made three of them on twelve attempts. LaSalle was five for twenty-five. I mean, and Georgetown made their free throws when they met when they needed them. They were sixteen of twenty from from the line. LaSalle was just seven of sixteen. So Georgetown had the edge in percentages from from the field, from three, and from the free-throw line, but LaSalle was a lot more efficient inside the arc. They were an even 50% at 20 for 40. Meanwhile, Georgetown inside the arc was just a hair under 50% at 22 of 47, if I did the math correctly. Leading the way for the Explorers, 14 from Jameer Brickus, five of eight from the floor, two for four from deep. 13 from Khalil Brantley, who had a real tough outing. 5 of 17 from the floor, just 1 of 7 from deep. St. Peter's transfer, Hassan Drame, 9 points, 8 boards, 4 of 12 from the floor, and 1 for 4 from behind the arc. 3 points each from Josh Nickelberry and Mamadou DeCore. And then off the bench, they got 13 from Anwar Gill, who was six of eleven from the field? Gave him a boost in twenty six minutes off the bench, and then Fusini Drame in twenty eight minutes, three for nine from the field, seven point seven boards, and then tough tough outing for Depaul. Again, no no on Genda, no Yurne, and Oklahoma State. You know they were up big early. I mean, they were up 18 at one point. And DePaul, you know, they clawed their way back. They scratched and clawed and even took a one-point lead. A couple points in the second half. I mean, and late in the game too. But Oklahoma State, they were able to make enough plays though. I mean, DePaul tied it with 220 to go on a three by Ahmad Bynum. But Oklahoma State, they end the game outscoring scoring six of the final eight points. So DePaul leaves the Bahamas going 0-2 at the Baja Mar Convention Center. So 82-78, the final Cowboys win it. Caleb Boone leads the way with 17 points, 7 of 11 shooting, 16 points from Avery Anderson the third. 14 from John Michael Wright, 8 from Bryce Thompson, 11 big points off the bench from Tyreek Smith in 18 minutes, 7 rebounds as well. 7 points from Caleb Asbury in 26 minutes off the bench. Chris Harris Jr., 5 points in 10 minutes. And then Musa a in 18 minutes, 4 points, 11 rebounds. They didn't shoot the three ball well, just three for 14. Inside the arc, they were pretty impressive 26 of 44 to get them up to an even 50%. They were also plus 11 on the glass, 38 27. So for DePaul, seven threes on 23 attempts, that's 30%. Meanwhile, DePaul from the field was just a hair under was around 38.5%. So inside the arc, they were 15 of 34. Errol Penn did as best as he could to put his team on his back. 25 points, 11 rebounds, 7 of 13 from the field, and 3 of 5 from deep. Moja Gibson with 17 points and 6 dimes. 3 of 14 from the floor, though, 0 for 5 from deep, but was 11 of 13 from the free throw line. DePaul shot well from the line. 27 of 33, that's just around 82%. Oklahoma State, 21 of 28 for an even 75. Deshaun Nelson with 11 points in three boards. Three of seven from the floor, one of two from deep. Javon Johnson with 10 points, although he did foul out. Four for 10 from the field. Philmont Gebrewit just three points in this one. And then off the bench, Ahmad Bynum, 10 points to... Sparked the Blue Demons in that second half. Played 20 minutes, 3 for 6 from the floor, 2 for 4 from deep. And then Zion Cruz, 9 minutes, 2 points. And Jalen Terry, I mean, seen his minutes go really down compared to last year. I mean, I don't want to speculate, so I guess we'll see over time if he gets more time. We'll see. And then other non-conference action, I mean, Seton Hall... Ronald Wagner to bounce back from that disappointing loss to Iowa. It was only a 13-point game at halftime, but Seton Hall blew it open in the second half. I think the move to put Alamir Dawes in the starting lineup paid off big time. And the biggest lead for Seton Hall was 43. Foss score in on this one, Pirates win 82-44 as first-year head coaches Donald Copeland and Shaheen Holloway, a pair of Seton Hall alums, Granted, from different times, Copeland was the class of 2006, Holloway the class of 2000. So 82-44 the final, Alamir Dawes into the starting lineup for the first time this year and excelled in that role. 24 minutes, 7 of 10 from the field, 5 of 7 from deep for a game-high 19 points. They got 11 from pit transfer Femi Odukale. Three for four from the field. One of two from deep. Four for five from the charity stripe. Casey and Defoe had 12 points and five rebounds. Tyree Samuel, 10 points and eight boards in 19 minutes. Four for eight from the field. But the guy who I was expecting to be an X-factor, like he needs to take a... He took a big step up in his game last year. Now they expect him to go even more. Trey Jackson, 18 minutes, 16 points. 6 of 9 from the field, and a perfect 3 for 3 from behind the arc. Jameer Harrison in his first game of the season off the bench. 23 minutes, 5 points, 3 assists, 2 for 4 from the floor, 1 of 3 from behind the arc. Pirates also out-rebounded the Seahawks, 44 to 30. Tay Davis, 4 points in 26 minutes, 5 rebounds. All this points, though, came from the charity stripe. Kadari Richmond only twenty one minutes. His only make of the game was a three pointer, where he was one for two, one for four from the floor overall. And then they also got an alley oop from freshman walk on Elijah Muhammad. The Pirates, though, were really good from the field, nearly fifty two percent at twenty eight of, of fifty four. And then from three point range, they were eleven for twenty three, which. If my memory serves me right. I think this is the first time they've made 10 plus threes in a game. And it was. So for Wagner. Leading the way 15 points from Ramir Moore. 6 of 12 for the field. 3 for 5 from behind the arc. Everyone else seemed to struggle because they were 5 for 20 from deep. That's only 25%. And then 18 for 59 from the field. Just, so that's only 30.5%. So it means inside the arc, they were 13 for 39. So only one make on every three shots inside the arc. Meanwhile, they got seven points from Delani Hunt. A three from Brandon Brown, just a free throw from Javier Esquera and a scoreless day in 16 minutes, although he grabbed five rebounds from Keontae Lewis. The bench was pretty good for Wagner. I would say 18 points combined for the bench. Six of them from Julian Brown. Four from Rob Taylor, the second three each from Lavelle Broadnecks. and Jabril, Price, Noel, and then two points from Darius Hughes. So Pirates up to 3-1 and one, um, ahead of the ESPN Events Invitational at Disney World. And then number 25, UConn. Doing as they please against Delaware State, they obviously they looked a hell of a lot better against the Hornets than Villanova did earlier in the week. So UConn is a 33.5 point favorite, and they, I guess, barely got to cover town but they were up by as many as 43. I mean, no surprise. UConn dominant. They get to 5-0, 95-60 the final. Adama Sonogo continuing to dominate, looking like the preseason freshman of the year without a shadow of a doubt. 26 points, 8 boards, 10 of 13 from the field, and he knocked down a, a 3 from the top of the key. So he's looking like a problem. But how about the bench? Donovan Klingon, 16 minutes, 16 points, 7 9 from the field, and 5 rebounds. So the freshmen, I mean, you have multiple freshmen making sizable contributions. Meanwhile, Joey Calcetera off the bench with 11 points, 4 of 6 from the floor, 3 for 5 from deep. Really stuffed the stat sheet with 5 boards and 6 assists. Uh, Back to the starters, 11 from Jordan Hawkins, four for 13 from the floor, three for 10 from deep, nine rebounds, and a couple block shots. Alex Karaban, another freshman, 10 points, three of five from the field, one of two from deep. Naheem Aline with nine points and four assists. Tristan Newton with six points in 20 minutes, all from behind the arc where he was two for four. And then they got three points each off the bench from Hassan Diar who had five assists in 22 minutes. And Andre Jackson knocked down a three. He did foul out, only playing 13 minutes. But, I mean, three points ain't great, but four assists in his 13 minutes of action. As for Delaware State, 21 to lead the way for Jevin Muniz. Six of 13 from the floor, two for six from deep. He was the only player for the Hornets to hit a three. Everyone else was 0-3 overall from behind the arc. They got 15 from Kyle Johnson and nine rebounds. Six from Aaron Lemon Warren. Three different players with five each, which were Ray Somerville, who fouled out. Martez, Robert, Martez Robinson, as so I try to not fumble over my words, and then Corey Perkins off the bench in 14 minutes had those five points, two for four from the field, and then just three points off the bench from Okoye Parker in 16 minutes, one of seven from the field. UConn incredibly sound offensively. 12 three-pointers on 28 28 attempts. Jesus Christ, I can't talk. That's right around 43%. And then overall, 57.4% at 35 for 61. Also rebound rebounded Delaware State, 39-27. The Hornets did shoot 20 of 52 from the field, 38.5%, but just two for nine from behind the arc. So that was the weekend, right? Last night was interesting. Well, first of all, you had the new AP pull drop. Creighton stays at number ten. Now they're facing the number twenty-one team in the country. Now Texas Tech, who's also unbeaten in their Maui Invitational opener. This is a nine thirty a.m. local time tip, two thirty Eastern on the east, two thirty on the East Coast, and it was a battle early on. A lot of bright spots for Creighton early, but it was tied at the half, and then that Creighton took over in the second half. They led by as many as fourteen, and finally was Texas Tech got off to the hot start, and they led by as many as seven. You know, they started off on a nine to two run in the first few minutes. But Creighton really settled in nicely, and that starting five that was expected to carry the load for this team delivered. All five starters in double figures. Creighton wins seventy-six to sixty-five. Arthur Kaluma with eighteen points, four rebounds, six of eleven from the field, and two for four from behind the arc. Seventeen from Trey Alexander, who was two for two from deep and five for six from the floor. Ryan Nemhard. Looked a lot better in this one. 6 of 10 from the field, 2 of 3 from deep, finished with 16 points. Baylor Shireman, a double-double for the South Dakota State transfer. 11 points, 12 boards, 4 for 10 from the field, 3 for 7 from deep. A couple of the threes he hit were just bombs. Ryan Kochbrenner, 10 points, 6 boards, and a couple block shots. And then, again, McDermott didn't really go to the bench a lot, but in 9 minutes, Frederick King... Made a huge difference. Bucket in the first and the second half. Including a big putback. Four points, four boards in nine minutes. Two for two from the floor. Talk about efficiency. Creighton, you know, did better going to the line. 17 free throws compared to seven for Texas Tech. 13 of 17. And from the field, 55% at 27 of 49, 9 for 20 from behind the arc, which is forty five percent fitting into the let it fly mentality. As for the Red Raiders, Daniel Bacho with 17 points, seven to twelve from the field. Knockdown was only three point attempt to the game, thirteen from Pop Isaacs, who was is four for five from deep. They got 12 points from Davion Harmon, who was just 6 of 17 from the floor. Kevin O'Banner put um, just 5 for 11 from the field, 10 points, 4 rebounds, and then just 4 combined points from the bench, 2 each from Robert Jennings, K.J. Allen. So, big win for Creighton. Moving on to the semis of the Maui Invitational. Not a good start in Fort Myers for Marquette, taking on 4-0 and Mississippi State. I mean, Marquette did themselves in early. You know, they got down early and their offense was just disgustingly bad. I mean, Mississippi State wasn't that much better, but it was 23-17 Bulldogs at the half. Marquette went on a run in the second half where they looked a heck of a lot better and actually knew how to put the ball in the basket and run offensive sets. But Mississippi State just did more down the stretch. Marquette... Actually, they're, they had a four-point lead at one point. Mississippi State, again, they led by as many as 10, and that was in the first half. But again, Mississippi State just did enough down the stretch to win, and they went up for good with two and a half minutes to go on a three by Deshaun Davis, didn't look back. That's the final margin, three points. Mississippi State wins 58-55, 15 from Eric Reed Jr., three for five From the floor all from behind the arc. And 6 of 7 from the free throw line. 12 points from the aforementioned Deshaun Davis. They got 8 off the bench from Shaquille Moore. 7 each from Cameron Matthews and Tolu Smith. Who Smith, by the way, had 16 rebounds in this one. One thing Marquette definitely has to do better. They need to learn how to rebound the basketball a heck of a lot better. And they really didn't defend the 3 well either. And they got themselves into foul trouble. Marquette, 19 fouls. Mississippi State, just 10. So that means Marquette didn't go ne- to the line anywhere near as much as Mississippi State did. And the Bulldogs nearly shot themselves in the foot with some missed free throws late in the game. Mississippi State was just 11 for 21 from the free throw line. Marquette, just five for eight. But the big difference in this game is Marquette was 8 of 28 from 3. That's under 30%. Mississippi State, 7 of 16 from deep. That's almost 44%. Yes, Marquette was more efficient inside the arc. I think everybody knows that. Just based on the numbers. 13 of 23, but here's the thing. Marquette, this team isn't built to be a three-point shooting team. Yes, Tyler Kolick was really good from deep. 4 for 6. And 6 for 11 from the field. But again, 3-point shooting is not this team's identity. Uh, this team should not be shooting more than half their shots from behind the arc. Period. And I'm sure they're going to make that adjustment in their consolation game with Georgia Tech today. Again, Kolek, like I said, I gave you the shooting numbers percentage-wise. 16 points on the game, which was a team high Cam Jones, six of fourteen from the floor, just two for ten from deep, fourteen points for the sophomore. And I saw like multiple Marquette people tweeting that Cam Jones just he needs to learn when he needs to shoot. Not like like it's not a ma- matter of whether you like, sure you can, but should you? That's what he's got to learn to figure out. Eight points each from Stevie Mitchell. As well as Sean Jones, the latter of which did it off the bench. In 13 minutes, it was 4-for-4. Four four. Omax prosper with 5 points and 9 boards. Osuwe Daro, just 2 points, 4 boards, 5 assists. And got himself into foul trouble. And then just 2 points in 19 minutes from David Joplin. 4 rebounds. again, And both of his points came from the free throw line. So, tough way for Marquette. To lose their opener in Fort Myers. One team that didn't lose their opener in in a two-game tournament for Feast Week, St. John's. But it seemed like early on they were gonna, because Temple went up twenty five to twelve at the seven and a half minute mark. But St. John's ended the first half on a twenty to five run to go up two. You can credit that to me turning on St. John's right when they were down that much. I'm kidding. The superstition, though, I think kind of stands, though. But in the second half, oh, man, it was a war. St. John's, they actually led by as many as eight. But they're able to stave off the Owls. And Temple actually, no, they tied it. At 68 with two and a half minutes to go. And actually took the lead by two on a three by Zach Hicks. With 135 to go. But a big and one from Andre Curbelo. Put the Johnnies ahead for good. They close the game on an 8-0 run. St. John's moves on to the title game of the Empire Classic in Brooklyn. 78-72. Montez Mathis leads the way with 16 points. 1 of 4 starters in double digits, 7 of 10 from the field. Joel Soriano, another double-double. He's proving to be the potential breakout player in the league this year. 15 points, 12 boards, 7 of 10 from the field. David Jones, 14 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, 6 of 15 from the field, 2 for 6 from behind the arc. Andre Crabell, the hero at the end of the game, 4 of 14 from the floor, just 1 of 4 from deep. 13 points, four dimes, but again, that and one was the difference. Then pretty good contributions off the bench. 14 combined points, eight of which came from Omar Stanley to go with three boards and a 4-for-4 shooting night. In 12 minutes, A.J. Stored with four points, and then in 18 minutes, Dylan Adewusu, not his best stuff, just two points and a couple assists on one of five shooting, 0-for-2 from deep. St. John's was not good inside the uh, from behind the arc. Just 3 for 13, which is 23%. Inside the arc, though, a heck of a lot better. Over 50% at 29 of 56. Which brought their shooting percentage overall up to 46% for the game. Temple was 8 of 24 from deep. But credit St. John's. They forced 21 turnovers. And for the game, Temple was 25 of 56 from the floor. So inside the arc, 17 of 32. Leading the way, Jameel Reynolds with 21 points, which is a game high, eight rebounds, eight of 10 from the floor, knocked down his only three-point attempt of the game. Zach Hicks with six, six boards and five assists to go along with 11 points, three of five from the floor, three for four from deep. Not a great night, though, for one of their best scorers, Damian Dunn. He had 11 points, 6 boards, but it was just 3 for 12 from the floor, 1 of 6 from behind the arc. Khalif Battle proving to be the 6th starter, if you will. 34 minutes off the bench, 17 points, 7 of 16 from the field, and 3 for 11 from behind the arc. They got six from. Hesier um, Miller, just three points from Jaleel White, and then off the the only other player to score off the bench, ten minutes for Nick Jordan, and he had three points. So that it that was what has happened on the men's side since Saturday. So thank thankfully now not as much action happening Tuesday and Wednesday, so I'm just going to break this down for you. I don't want to look too far in advance. I know I predicted what would happen overall with the Maui Invitational bracket and kind of with the Empire Classic. I know I feel like I've done it with like the entire tournament with you know everything. Up to this point, I'll do so with the with the Phil Knight Legacy and with the you know with Phil Knight Legacy and tournament and everything. Both sides of the bracket, you know, with there's a difference. Phil Knight Legacy, Phil Knight Invitational. But here's what's going on tonight: eight Eastern ESPN Maui Invitational semi. Top 10 matchup. Number 10, Creighton. Number 9, Arkansas. And the Blue Jays are actually favored by a point and a half in this game. I think I have the bracket right. I don't know if it's completely right. I know I had that semifinal matchup correct. And I am 4-for-4. Arizona barely got by Cincinnati last night. So again, Creighton, a one-and-a-half-point favorite. and the bottom half of the bracket, San Diego State taking on Arizona. Listen. Arkansas beat Louisville yesterday. And everyone knows Louisville sucks. They are a dumpster fire. I think Creighton, since they got the tougher opponent, I think they're more ready... For this game. Then Arkansas will. So the way I put it. Creighton is more ready for Arkansas. Than Arkansas is ready for Creighton. Because of the degree of difficulty. With their last game. And again. Arkansas is a point and a half underdog. BPI favors them. Because. The SEC's Wang. Is in ESPN's throat. And again, Crack Sidewalks had the article, BPI drastically favors schools that have the TV contracts with the ESPN versus those that don't. There's statistical data to prove that. To me, don't get me wrong, Arkansas is a very good team with four players averaging double digits, including Ricky Council at nearly 18 a game. But you look at Creighton's numbers. They also have four players averaging double digits. Cockburn are averaging 15 a game. They also rebound the basketball incredibly well. They're a better rebounding team. So the way I see this matchup unfolding, I think Creighton wins. I think Creighton wins by, I don't want to use a football term, but Creighton by a touchdown. I, I think Vegas is on to something favoring the Blue Jays over the Razorbacks. If anything is their women's teams are actually going to collide in Omaha in December. So give me the Blue Jays winning. If I were to pin a final score, hmm, brainstorming here. 72-65. And then 9.30 Eastern on ESPN2. St. John's in the Empire Classic Final against Syracuse. I mean, Big East rivalry renewed. Um, I, I Listen, with the way St. John's embarrassed Syracuse at the Dome the last time they met way back in December 2016... I don't blame for Syracuse for maybe willingly not scheduling them. I don't blame them. Cause why would you? I'm like, no way. I'm not, I'm not going to like get embarrassed by them again. And the first four years after Syracuse moved to the ACC, they met doing a home and home where it started at MSG in 20, in the 2013, 14 season with Syracuse winning by five as the number two team in the country. The following year in the Carrier Dome, St. John's got revenge winning by a dozen, and they went on a big second-half surge led by one of the best players in the history of St. John's in in recent memories, D'Angelo Harrison. And then with that horrible St. John's team in 2016... I mean, this is the team that lost an exhibition game to St. Thomas Aquinas by 32. St. John's beat them by 12 in that one because St. John's went ballistic from deep with guys like Federico Mussini and Amara Alibegovic going off in that one, especially from behind the arc. And then we all know what happened in the Dome the following year. St. John's was 5-7 and seven, going into a a Wednesday night game at the Dome, and St. John's embarrassed them. They they embarrassed them. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was 93 to 60 in favor of the Johnnies, but now they're on a neutral court. It, trust me, it's going to be a turf war between the people in orange and the people in red. Really, it's the war. Like who's New York's team? Syracuse has has stake claim to that. St. John's has done so, and. And again, based on those four meetings, St. John's has that advantage. So in those four meetings, St. John's was plus 52. I don't think it's fair to expect a blowout. I mean, Syracuse barely got by Richmond last night in overtime. I mean, in overtime, I'm 99% sure Richmond had like six tries to get to to make a shot and they didn't they didn't make a single one so Richmond kind of deserved to lose so in an old school biggies battle I got St. John's beating Syracuse to win the Empire Classic title and remain undefeated but I think it's going to be a war one point game, potentially we'll see but I'll tell you what there's gonna be a lot of points scored Syracuse still uses that 2-3 zone. So St. John's, not a great three-point shooting team. They're going to have to really buck up. Hopefully they practice well in in the lead up to this facing the 2-3 zone. Obviously, if you're going to beat the 2-3 zone, you got to make your threes and you got to know to pass it in the middle and work from there. Take that free mid-range jumper. It's there. They're giving you it. Knock it down. At least that's what I learned over time. If you get the ball into the middle, very rarely, especially when a guy, well, the guy for example, like Joel Soriano, Jesse Edwards, for example, in the middle, he's going to give him that shot all day, every day because he underestimates him like, oh yeah, Joel Soriano's is not going to shoot a mid-range jumper. Maybe if they throw a guy like, I don't know, David Jones in there, that could be different. So again, the two, three zone is the easiest defense, in my opinion, to thread, Like you know, like to, you know, go tic-tac-toe through and just carve up pun intended, I guess, because of the upcoming holiday, like a Thanksgiving turkey. I mean, there are still teams that don't know what the hell to do against a 2-3 zone and it's infuriating. because I'm like, this is the easiest one to score against because they're not giving you the paint. If you're a good three-point shooting team, you're salivating at the thought of facing Syracuse. If you're not like St. John's, well, you got to get a lot of extra shots up pregame. I feel like I'm talking more about this than the Creighton-Arkansas game. But again, I live an hour away from Syracuse. So I literally grew up watching the 2-3 zone for years. Decades. The 2-3 zone is the most invincible defense in all of college basketball. Especially with Syracuse and how they are now. Like 10 years ago, that was a tough 2-3 zone. You can still beat it with ease. But that was a tougher 2-3 zone because they had much much bigger players and better players, quite frankly. So The way I see it, St. John's in order to beat Syracuse, knock down your threes, get the ball into the middle and don't be afraid to take that foul line jumper. They're giving you that, it's 15 feet for free. Even if even if you don't take it like a like a like a two-handed shot, it's, it's like a floater almost. Take advantage of it. They're, if they're giving you it, take it. It's kind of like the Billy Bean mentality, you know, he, you hear in Moneyball. You know, if they're, if they're gonna try to sacrifice bunt, that's a free out they're giving you. Throw it to first, thank you very much. They're giving you the, the free throw line jumper, take it. And if you're knocking them down, then they're going to come out on you out of respect. That's going to open things up on the perimeter to knock down wide open threes. Again, I know about this and how to beat a two-three zone from experience because I saw this thing for twenty years or something like that growing up. Again, I'm losing. I lose track of time. I'm 26, but like even, even in college, I would still see Syracuse constantly, and when I'm home, see them constantly. So that's the key to the game. I think St. John's, again, they'll stay undefeated, win the Empire Classic title, and again, prove that they are New York's team, at least in college basketball, they're New York's team. Again, they did so three years in a row in 14, 15, and 16. It's either going to be like St. John's barely wins, Syracuse barely wins, or St. John's is going to blow the doors off of them like they did back in 2016 in the Dome. But neutral site, though I think we're going to see a barn burner. I mean, I don't. But let me be real we're we're not going to see a thirty three point game like we did back in twenty sixteen. I mean, a lot of that had to do with just lucky three point shooting. Like, didn't Freudenberg knock down like four threes in that one? I'm going to take a look at the box score just so you can get an idea of how nuts that basketball game was. So here we go. Just for old time's sake, December 21st, 2016, St. John Syracuse, St. John's was 12 for 29 from deep and Freudenberg had two of those three, I mean, two for six, but I, mean, I know he had that back-to-back stretch. where, we're like, you're like, what? But yeah, it's not, we're not going to see a 33 point game. going to be a lot closer. It's going to be a fun environment, even though there's barely gonna be anyone in Brooklyn, but who cares? It's the old Big East robbery, you know? Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time tomorrow for a new episode of the Igloo.